Wood. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. On this episode, we look into how different and sometimes difficult the dating scene can be, especially if you're entering your golden years of life. And what to do if you're feeling overwhelmed by the negative effects of climate change. We also talk about the decline of customer service and why it's never too late to change your career. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help make you be at your best. Have a listen quickly. We're going to talk about customer service here right out of the gate because I'm about to get into a major rant and tell you a story. But have a quick listen to uh, one of our favorite uh, comedians, Jerry Seinfeld, what he happens to say about customer service when he tries to pick up his rent-a-car. I'm sorry. We have no midsize available at the moment. I don't understand. I made a reservation. Do you have my reservation? Yes, we do. Unfortunately, we ran out of cars. But the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservations. I know why we have reservations. I don't think you do. Well, there you go. So, I mean, it's a very famous uh, scene, but let me tell you, I lived it. Okay, so uh, genuine customer service is, by the way, one of the earmarks of a successful business, uh, and it shows appreciation for consumer for the, the consumer and the relationship, uh, but less and less common these days. And as we turn to the integration of artificial intelligence and away from human customer care, uh, employees uh, are just not seeing consumers the same way as they used to, for sure. So here's the deal. I have a phone. By the way, I give you a chance to call in right now, 877-399-9898. Leo's waiting for your call. You can text me at the same number, 877-399-9898. And this segment and the last segment tonight is going to be dedicated to poor customer service. So great time for you to call in. Tell me your poor customer service story or your great customer service story. Either way, love to hear from you. So I have a phone. It's a it's a fold phone. I, I don't give manufacturers names because they don't pay us to do that and it's not my job so i have a, a phone that opens it, it it's it, it's got a it's got a fold in it it's part of the name um and that inside fold has a screen protector if you don't know what a screen protector is it's a thin plastic layer that goes over the actual screen of your phone and it's the one that gets scratched and chipped and damaged before you mess up the screen, which is a thousand dollars versus a screen cover, which is you know 30, 40, 50 bucks, depending. Mine in particular, by the way, is $75 because of the fancy phone that I got. I listen, I got this this fold phone because I do a ton of stuff um, on uh, video. I do all, you know, all my therapy, my coaching, pretty much everything I do is, is virtual and video based. Plus to read, you know, documents and things like that, I need something a little bit bigger and I didn't want to carry a big kind of a, kind of a, a, a note kind of phone, if you know what that's like. <clears throat> so I got this, I thought it would be a really cool thing to do. So anyway, my, my screen in the center of the fold, all of a sudden I have bubbles air bubble, what appear to be air bubbles. Go online, figure out what I'm supposed to do to fix the air bubbles. And it tells me that I'm supposed to scrape this, you know, scrape something like a credit card or whatever along it and, you know, try to get rid of the bubbles. Anyway, I do that. I frankly, I think I made it worse, right? I think I made it worse. And now I'm dealing with 
uh, a phone that's got bubbles up the center. So when I open the phone, I'm focused on the bubbles. And if you've never met me before, this is your first time listening in. I've got OCD, obsession, obsessive compulsive disorder, ADD, and anxiety disorder. My OCD was in, in it, it's in high peak was in the peak of its form when I was staring at these bubbles every time I opened the phone. So I have a uh, contract with my carrier and it gives me a, it gives me a, a warranty on the phone as long as I'm under contract with the carrier. So three years, four years, whatever the term of the agreement is. And that protects the phone. If anything goes wrong, I think it costs me $13 a month or whatever. Well worth the money. Trust me over years, it's paid for itself for me for sure. So I call my carrier and they say that you need to go to an authorized uh, dealer for this particular phone. I then begin calling around. No one's got this screen cover. It requires a special tool to put it on. And any of the standard, you know, we break it, you fix it kind of people, no one can do it. So there is there are two um, actual stores for the manufacturer of my phone both in huge malls in Toronto, one downtown, one uh, midtown. And uh, I call the I call the store closest to me, happens to be at Yorkdale Shopping Centre. I live in Toronto or in Thornhill, but uh, the, I, I would go to a store in Toronto, not far. Uh, go to Yorkdale. Now, Yorkdale is a giant facility, which means I've got to pack up my scooter and all that kind of stuff if I'm going to go to the mall. So I get on the phone to call them, A, to find out what I'm supposed to do, be to book an appointment and figure out, you know, if they've got the parts and all that stuff. I get on the phone. I'm 25 minutes jumping between menus. Press this one, press that one. Talk to this person, talk to that person. Get to here, get to there. Anyway, it sounds to me like the place is packed and full of people out of their minds busy is what it would sound like if you were listening on the other end. I get somebody on the phone. I said to him, listen, I'm a senior. I have a physical disability. I've got anxiety disorder and OCD and ADD. I have some mental health issues and I've got a problem with my phone. I'm going to be traveling soon. I need to take it with me. I need to, I think, replace the, the cover. Uh, can you help me? He says, let me check and see if we have it in stock. Okay. That's a good start, right? Get a, calls, gets back on the phone six, seven, eight minutes later, however long it takes to check this huge inventory, you would think. And he says, yeah, we just got a bunch of them in uh, for on the first count. We, we, we just got a bunch of them in. So uh, they're very popular and uh, they're on a first come, first serve basis. I said, okay, so here's the deal. I'm gonna, I'd like to make an appointment to come in because I can't just show up. I, I need, you know, I have a busy practice and I can't just show up and take time to show up and stand in line. Uh, plus, I, you know, I'm disabled, so it's going to be a little harder for me to get there. I have to coordinate myself. Anyway, uh, the guy says, well, I can't put it on. I can't put the product on hold. But, uh, you know, first come, first serve. I said, well, let me buy the screensaver, the, the, sc the, the screen protector, and I'll book an appointment. Then I'll come in and you can put this thing on for me. Well, we can't do that. Anyway, we go back and forth. I, I asked to talk to a manager. I wait 25 minutes. I can't get a manager. I figure, you know what the hell with this? I get in my car. I cancel a few things. I get in my car. I pack up my scooter. I get in my car. I'm fuming. I get on the phone. I make start making a call. Try to talk to the manager before I get there. Tell him what my situation is. I need to get in and get out. By you know, blah 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 blah. Right. Long and the short of it is, I get to the mall. I I, I park my car. I get in my scooter. I scooter through the mall. I get to the store. It's empty. There's no one in there. There's five people wearing uniforms or something like a uniform. And I walk in, the guy says, can I, you know, can I sign you up for the next available appointment? 
Say, what do you mean the next available appointment? There's nobody here. Anyway, the long and the short of it is I went through this whole process, spoke to the manager, finally got some level of service, explained my situation. He says, no, 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 no. If you would have booked the appointment, we would have put the product on hold and it wouldn't have been a problem for you. Somebody miscommunicated, uh, so on and so forth. They ended up fixing the thing for free. And I'm now talking to him about the quality of customer care. He's looking at me going, hey, listen, you know, we do the best we can. It's hard to get good staff. The same thing I hear everywhere. So I don't know how you feel about customer service. We're going to talk about this later uh, at the end of the show as well. So I'd love for you to jump in. You can you can text me anytime throughout the evening, uh, throughout the morning, evening, wherever it is you are in Canada at the moment. And uh, I'll uh, respond to those texts either by text or uh, verbally if we're having a conversation, right? So it's it's important. It's a very important that we that we actually start looking at customer service and wonder if, in fact, um, you know, we're in, you know, we're, we're, we're doing the right thing here by just allowing people to treat us the way they do. Or, in fact, you know, should we be pushing back? Um, there was a study done. Seventy five percent of organizations believe themselves to be customer centered. Only 30 percent of consumers would agree to that. So we're going to talk about this later on in the show when I calm down just a little bit. Uh, but there's a, a large problem here, a huge problem, especially post pandemic where staff has been difficult to get. Um, and we're trying to look at, uh, at at that whole story. And, you know, I, I'm interested to know how you feel about the quality of customer service. Does it exist today or not? Is it just me? But I'm telling you, man, they would, the runaround they gave me, I got to the store, the place was empty. I, you know, I got in line, you know, had to do a whole series of things just to get into a, into a queue. Like, I just don't get it. And I said, can't you guys see that, you know, there's a customer here and that there's a customer problem anyway, oblivious to me, oblivious to me. So uh, we're going to talk about this more. Let me know how you feel. Send me some texts. Give Leo a call. We'll chat with you about it uh, towards the end of the show. We're talking about, um, we're talking about the impact of um, climate change and um, actual natural disasters on one's uh, mental health and uh, the impact that it's having on our friends and, and family and folks in Alberta. And uh, just want you to have a quick listen uh, to what the public health expert and climate change activist, her name is Lynn Stoller. She hosted a TED Talk uh, this past March on climate anxiety. Hear how, uh, hear how what she has to say. When I was in fourth grade, one day, climate change was brought up in my classroom. We were basically told that the world was ending and then sent off to recess. And then it was never really brought back up. Over the next decade or so, I did my best to ignore the issue because what was I supposed to do about it anyway? But I found myself occasionally remembering that climate change was happening. And I'd feel this wave of existential dread or these pangs of guilt and anxiety. So we're seeing things around the world, tornadoes and tornadoes and floods and changes of, of temperature, very hot, very cold, impacting the lakes and rivers and waters and animals and life, uh, you know, b below the surface. And uh, it, we're, we're really it's, it's really something to pay attention to. And for many people, it creates a, a lot of anxiety, a lot of discomfort uh, within their own skin, so to speak, uh, to try to understand what what makes this all a reality and how do you cope, right? How do you cope with this? Uh, my guest this evening is Robert Gifford. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Victoria. And uh, we're going to talk about this together. Robert, thanks for being here with us. Uh, hello, I'm happy to be here. 
Okay, cool. So climate anxiety, echo anxiety, this term, uh, it's starting to get a lot of attention. What does it exactly mean? Yeah, maybe the first thing is to uh, distinguish between climate change worry and climate change anxiety. A lot of people are worried or concerned about climate change, and this is mostly about thinking or what we call cognition, uh, that is, uh, thoughts about it that are uh, uh, somewhat concerning. When it evolves into climate change anxiety, that's when more bodily symptoms, sweating, nightmares, uh, and more important kind of physiological changes start to happen. So sometimes people confuse climate change worry and climate change anxiety. And even after one has climate change anxiety, one may well still have climate change worry. But normally it starts with worry and uh, evolves into anxiety for some people. And so it, how, do, how does one cope with this? If I mean, is it the, the reality of what's going on out there? I mean, you yourself, you're a professor, you're you know, a researcher, you, you, I'm sure you, you, you read and, and pay attention to what's going on out there. How do you manage to keep yourself in check when you're looking at the stuff that's out there and kind of what we're seeing around the world? Does it affect you in the same way that it does many people that you talk to? Well, the the thing that I usually say, and of course everybody's a little bit different, but yeah. the best way I think to deal with climate change anxiety is to do something. That is, you know, no one of us is going to save the situation. But on the other hand, if if a lot of us do something, it's going to make a difference, like in any movement. So I think the best thing to do for the average person, who's the average listener who doesn't have his or her, you know, uh, hands on the, the on the levers of power, <laughs> is to do something within your own world. Do uh, do what you can do. Yeah, do what you can do. Okay, so and every, is everybody it, can do something. You can yeah, yeah. No, your I hear it toward a more uh, climate friendly diet, or you can change your transportation, or you can uh, maybe not uh, fly as much. Or so everybody does have at least a small role to play. Yeah, no kidding, right? It's and and really, what what I'm trying to get to is, you know, little people talk about things like separating their garbage, you know, taking care of recycling, you know, trying to drive an electric vehicle if they're able to afford it and can provide for a place to plug it in, which is a whole other problem, right? So pe some people are, are working at trying to do that, but, it, it, you know, many people say, you know, no matter what I do around my house, it just doesn't seem to take away the worry I have, right? Yes, that, that's true. Um, uh, and one of the things we research your environment, I'm an environmental psychologist. Uh, and so what environmental psychologists often say is that anxiety can be paralyzing. But if you start to do something, it might move back toward just climate change worrying. And there's a fair amount of evidence that suggests that people who are climate change worried uh, tend to do more than they were doing before. So, you know, recycling or separating the garbage, but then upgrading that to uh, a little bit of political action, like at least writing a letter to an elected official or joining one of the environmental organizations or moving from everyday pro-environmental behavior to something 
uh, more impactful, uh, what you might even call mild activism, that is not necessarily running down the street, but, you know, starting to become active in, the, in your neighborhood or writing to your politicians, elected politicians, you know, something that takes a bit more than recycling. Yeah, exactly. I get it. We're talking about uh, climate anxiety, climate worry and such. Um, Does it differ really from the trauma that one would feel after actually, you know, being part of a, of a, of a, some form of natural disaster? Is it, is it more impactful when you're actually in the midst of a disaster or worrying about one to come? Well, that's a good question. Of course, if you're right in the middle of a tornado, like people in Alberta were recently, uh, that's what takes precedence over everything, of course. Uh, and But what we found in our own work is that if you've had some experience with a climate-related event, like flooding was in Calgary and some other places, or the tornado or heat domes as we've had in British Columbia, that tends to increase uh, climate change uh, worry and then climate change anxiety. So, uh, you know, experience with a disaster in the past tends to make this worse. Um, you can because you can understand better what the problem is. Uh, have a quick listen to what a grain farmer in Saskatchewan, one of our brothers, uh, talks about how he gets overwhelmed with anxiety and dread when he reads and learn and learns about uh, climate change have a quick listen here there are times where i read you know about just what is happening to nature whether it's um you know loss of species or loss of habitat or sea ice or sea level rise it frightens me actually yeah the uh you know a lot of people are concerned Uh, my guest robert gifford he's uh, joining us uh, continuing to join us this evening he's a professor of psychology at university of victoria uh robert thanks for sticking around so you know one of the things i would tell this guy as a therapist and a coach is you know don't read the paper don't listen to the news and don't watch tv uh is is that kind of a a reality or we we kind of have to face it head on and uh and and just learn to deal with it uh, that one's a mixed one for me. Uh, we've, in our research, we found that the more that people pay attention to media ex- information on on climate change, the more anxious they get, which is not <laughs> terrifically surprising. So I know people, including my daughter, who just basically tunes it out as as a as an, a way of adapting or coping with the situation. On the other hand, you know, if we only tune out, then we won't understand what we kind of need to need to do. Uh, and so it's I, I really think we should pay some attention, but maybe not doom scroll every day. Yeah. And I guess for folks like you who are who are you know advocating for change and and so on, the idea of people kind of turning it off doesn't work well for us either, because education is one of the way to get, you know, things fixed and changed and altered. Um, so is, is it is it um, is there a way that you kind of, you know, you talk about slaying the dragons of inaction, um, which hold people back from dealing with climate change. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, the dragons are uh, were were uh, created, I guess, about 12 years ago uh, as uh, when I ask people, uh, do you think there's an environmental problem? And they say yes. And then I say, well, uh, are you going to start doing this or stop doing that? And they 
uh, gave a reason, what they would call a reason, what some people would call an excuse or a rationalization or a justification. So the dragons of inaction essentially are the, in plain, ang- plain language, are the excuses that we use for not doing even what we think we should be doing in terms of climate change, or but in terms of other things as well, donating to charities or looking after our health or whatever. So as opposed, to, as related to climate change, it's, you know, um, I see you're driving that, uh, that, that car. Uh, don't you think that's hurting the environment? Well, yes. So what are you going to do about it? Well, I, um, yeah. it's not, well, there's actually 42 dragons that this driver could call up. Uh, I, I don't, we don't have time, I think, to talk about each one, but there's about 42 different dragons, excuses, rationales, justifications that people will use. And it's unfortunate. It's human nature, but it's unfortunate. It's like, you know, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I, I, I probably, you're, I, I probably could guess that you're probably very actively uh, yeah, involved in doing everything you can do in your life and what you drive, what you, you know, how you function and so on. I'm sure you're very focused on it. I would love to say that I am, but I'm not. Um, I, you know, I think I'm like a lot of people not wanting to give up some of the comforts and luxuries. Is that what it's rooted in? Do you think at the end of the day, it's just too much to give up? Yeah, and there's a bunch of reasons, you know, even though we're we're having heat domes and tornadoes, people tend to do what I call, one of the reasons or dragons is called spatial discounting or temporal discounting, which is just jargon for saying, well, it's not really here yet, or it's happening over there somewhere. So I guess it's not really here and now for me. Uh, although it it's increasingly here and now, but for the last ten or twelve years, it's been more like it's not here now. And but now, as that's one reason you're asking me, and other people have asked me. The question is because it is more here and now. Now, so now that's why we have anxiety. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, you think you think the the naysayers, you know, the climate deniers, you think some of them are wake, waking up, you know, smelling the smoke that they never smelt before, and seeing wildfires out of control and temperatures changing. And rising and lowering and all kinds of stuff happen. It's hard to deny it, isn't it? At the end of the day, you can't, you know. Well, the, every every uh, possible answer to that question is yes. Some famous people have converted. Second, some people of down in the single digits continue to simply deny. But there's something that I call neo denialism. Neo denialism is yes, it's warming up. But we're going to be able to grow grapes in Manitoba now uh, or, you know, <laughs> something, you know, it, there, there's going to be a good side to it. The experts say that, yes, indeed, there are going to be some benefits. Russia, for example, is going to get rich on growing more wheat, for example, as it warms up. But so there are some good things to to global warming. But the experts that I pay attention to say the downside heavily outweighs the few good things what do you what do you tell people when they when they say you know it's uh you know you talk about what you're involved in and the kind of work that you do and and people say well you know i get anxious over you know lots of things and you know this is just one more thing um this is different i think don't you robert than just your general you know things that we cope with on a day-to-day basis uh for many people this is kind of like 
the world feels like it might be coming to an end. Is that overly dramatic or is that, am I coming from a place of reality here? Well, one thing I tell people is that the planet is not going to come to an end, despite what you read sometimes. The planet mm-hmm. might undergo a big transformation, which will be really seriously bad news for our species. The planet is going to go on in some form. The world is the, the environment is going to go on, but it might be transformed, of course. So, uh, but uh, Resonating to what you started to say there, the biggest dragon that I hear about when I ask people, you know, out of the 42, is what I call CGA, which is conflicting goals and aspirations. I would uh-huh. like to do something, but I got to cook dinner now. I would like uh-huh. to do something, but I have to write this paper for my class. <laughs> uh-huh. I have my job. I, so I've got other, I have to look after my health. I have to do these other things. And so I think CGA is probably the biggest, baddest dragon in the lair. What's the one thing you do before we let you go here, Robert? What's the one thing you've done in your life, uh, major change you've made in your life uh, to help you deal with um, the concept of climate change and such? Well, you know, what comes first to my mind, and it didn't start with climate change, it came before climate change, but I've been a a vegetarian for over 50 years now. And I think that's added up to a fair amount of emissions saved through the agricultural process. Of course, not everybody agrees with me, and maybe some of your listeners wouldn't agree with me, but you ask me, and so I think being a vegetarian is the biggest thing that I've done besides having two cars that are the newest car that I have is 21 years old. (laughs) So not buying any new cars, what I think electric drive that gas thing until it, until it really doesn't work anymore. Don't trade it in every three years. Um, I want you to have a quick listen here before we get off on this subject. We're talking about um, life changes at 60. Uh, this uh, particular guy, the story that's about, changed his life um, after uh, retirement. Have a quick listen. His name is Brad Ross. He was a, a, a senior executive with the TTC and a spokesperson uh, for the Transit uh, Authority. Have a quick listen to what he has to say. The job I had uh, at the city, at the TTC, uh, doing the, the work that I did, which I loved, um, but I'd done it for a long time, and um, I, I felt the time was, was right for, for a change to slow down, um, to, to take a breath, and uh, so, so that was my plan going forward. I retired, as you noted, at the end of last year. Took some time uh, at the beginning of this year just to sort of do a whole lot of nothing um and uh and then the, the plan was to embark on this this new career and that so uh, we're talking about Brad Ross. That's his name. And here's the story. He worked for the TTC for some time, uh, many years, as their spokesperson. And um, it was uh, he was 58 years old at the time and uh, still uh, at, a, at his civil servant job. He began to seriously consider what's going to be next as he gets closer to retirement. He was getting uh, phone messages and texts and emails over the long weekend constantly, uh, working days, nights, holidays, no real break, right? So he, it was, he got to a point where um, he uh, basically at, um, here's how we say, here, basically around his, his birthday, uh, he had a massive uh, heart attack. 
uh, he, so he was supposed to start. So here's the deal. He chose, he left his TTC and he decided what he'd like to do. Um, uh, you know, he, 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 you know, figured he would, uh, try to become a, he wanted to become a barber. Interesting, right? So text me or, or email me or text me or give us a call here, by the way, 877-399-9898. If you have a chance, uh, reach out, text me. Um, let me know if you've made this midlife change, gone from one career to another kind of, you know, after your mid-50s. Anyway, he, he had, he, he just basically just before retirement, um, the story goes that he had a massive heart attack. He was focused on uh, on some on, on getting ready, getting ready for his retirement. Um, and before his, he was supposed to start as an apprentice uh, in this uh, barbering program. Um, he, you know, ended up suffering a massive heart attack. So it was it was a bit of a setback for him. Um, he decided he'd become a barber. He wanted to, he says, well, I liked everybody in my business. We learned um, his, uh, his health was, uh, wasn't well over his social media. Um, and people then, um, six weeks later, he then, after his heart attack, he then shows up to the History Barbershop in Midland, Ontario, here north of Toronto, uh, in northern Ontario. And, um, you know, showing up for his new gig, his new job. So his daughter happened to be a hairdresser as well, right? So his daughter happened to be a hairdresser. Uh, so he kind of had a taste for it. He just thought it might be something interesting to do. And oh, by the way, just so you know, we're straight, uh, complete transparency. Uh, hairstyling is one of the things I thought I would like to do in another life. Um, now that I can't stand for great periods of time because of my back and my legs, uh, that probably wouldn't work for me unless you can do it out of a chair. But super creative gig, right? Like, seriously, man, super creative gig. You get to talk to people. You get to play with their hair. You get to cut something, you know, maybe doesn't look so great into something that looks great. So you get to see the end result. Very positive. We all like to feel like we're doing something positive, right? See the end result of our of our actions and the work that we do. So this is what he decided to do. And um, he would watch what she was doing from the corner of his eye. And Although hairdressing is much different than barbering, he goes out to say. Uh, barbers are barbers and hairdressers are hairdressers. So uh, he's going to be attending George Brown, uh, Georgian College as well to take the program, uh, the proper the program to, I guess, get certified as a barber. It's, it's something you've got to get a license to do. You can't just grab a pair of scissors and open a store, right? Um, but, you know, I got to tell you, it's an interesting story. It's a fun story to listen to. But one of the advantages that he had, and maybe not for all of us, have the same advantage, he was coming off a really good job with an excellent pension. So sometimes wanting to change our lives and make, you know, make alterations in what we want to do for a living, uh, go back to school, uh, you know, learn, learn, you know, a, a new trade, a new skill, uh, upgrade a skill or a trade. Um, sometimes for many of us, it's difficult to do because we still have to pay the bills. And, you know, government pensions today if are depending on where you're coming from, but for the most part, not enough to live on, right? So hopefully, you know, people are getting some kind of, of company uh, pension when they when they leave or they're smart about their RRSP, so they're able to do that. But not everybody can change their life, go back to school and so on um, at, you know, a later stage in their life because of the financial uh, cost. Now, I know I, I, I'm not up to speed, but um, I know there are programs available for people, uh, re-education, retraining programs that many of the provincial governments um, will support. 
I'm not sure if there's a federal program. There might be. Uh, I didn't do my homework, frankly. So I can't really tell you. Um, but at the end of the day, right, it's never too late to change. You know, I've gone, uh, to be perfectly honest with you all, um, I've gone from, you know, doing a lot of therapy all day, every day to doing 50, 60% of my day is now therapy. And the rest of it is is more coaching, more, um, frankly, for me, more uplifting work. Uh, I love I love the therapy piece, but uh, sometimes it's just a little much over, uh, you know, decades and decades of, of doing this. And um, to be honest, when my mom passed away, I kind of lost a little bit of, of uh, empathy, perhaps, that uh, I might have had before. Maybe don't have so much today for that same kind of stuff. So I'm finding that I'm morphing into more of a coach and a, and a, and a, and a, and a performance type guy um, and start trying to kind of steer away from the, the real, you know, difficult and complex mental health and addiction uh, type therapy. So a lot less therapy for me now going forward and uh, a bunch more, um, a bunch more into the, into the uh, coaching stuff. I think coaching is something I can do, you know, well into my, my later years. Um, because frankly, for me, it's much easier work. It takes a lot less out of me emotionally. And I guess that's the changeover, right? So, um, for all of us, we have to make changes in our life when we get to a certain stage in our life, right? And the reason we do that, right? The reason we do that is to is to try to meet the needs of our changing um, lifestyles and sometimes our physical need, our physical capabilities and uh, mental emotional capabilities over time uh, change. We, we're not as strong, um, you know today, perhaps in terms of what we can handle uh, as much as we were perhaps, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, depending on how old you are. So picking what that next change looks like, you know, for, 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 for Brad, it was becoming a barber for someone else. You know, I know, I know a bunch of folks that I've worked with over the years that were, you know, firefighters, police officers, emergency room guys, uh, emergency, EMS, uh, ambulance type folks uh, who, you know, started towards their ending of their career, started to do things like landscaping. Uh, another fellow I know became a cabinet maker. Um, another person, uh, became a is baking wedding cakes fancy wedding cakes that you spend 500 600 800 a cake for and so on um you know everyone's got their thing everyone's got their niche and often people want to turn their hobby into their next vocation so there's positives about that there's negatives about that depends on who you are depends on where you're coming from and what it's all about right but sometimes your hobby is good as a hobby may not make a great vocation but yeah you never know, right? You got to try things on. So looking at life, looking at your changes, you better to start planning that, coming up that plan B, what that life's going to look like. The next version is going to look like your 2.0, what that looks like uh, ahead of the game so that you're not kind of stuck trying to figure it out um, as, as you go. You know, this conversation I want to have now uh, is about politicians failing to protect our children. Um, you know, whether it's municipal, provincial, federal, we're just not doing a really good job of protecting our children, protecting them in their in, in school, protecting them in their con community environments, protecting them on the subway, for gosh sakes. I mean, nowadays, certainly in Ontario, I, I, I know there's issues across the rest of Canada, certainly in Toronto, the city that I live in, um, you know, people taking... Uh, 
TTC, you know, Toronto Transit. Um, I have to really think about, you know, the safety for their children that are taking TTC to and from school. Um, you know, that's kind of one way, simple way to look at this whole conversation about taking care of children and doing really a better job of protecting them, right? So in New Brunswick, uh, in the news last week, uh, for failure to protect children from child abuse and neglect, it was in the news, rather than focusing on the New Brunswick mother who pled guilty to six charges, uh, including aggravated assault and confinement, of, of the child, the leader of the Conservative Party went on the record to loudly uphold parental rights. Let parents raise their children. In so doing, uh, Pierre Polivier uh, ignores the well-recognized fact that in Canada, parents' rights end the moment they don't act in the best interest of the child. Okay, so there, you know, you can you can say, you know, parents can be parents. You know, it's the old story. You know, if I want to hit my kid, I can. If I want to shake my kid, I can. Uh, that's not the way it is. My friends, if you know anybody who believes that, let them know that that's a bunch of crap, that you you, you lose your parents, right? Your parental rights when you don't act in the best interest of the child. Bottom line, right? Uh, his cavalier words inflamed uh, the transphobia at a critical moment in our history. Right. Um, when Polivier made his comments, he was criticizing Prime Minister Trudeau for speaking ill of an education policy in New Brunswick that no longer requires teachers to use the chosen names and pronouns of transgender or non-binary students under 16 without parental consent. So it doesn't seem like a big deal to, to the average person, I suppose. But, you know, what we're talking about is creating a policy that doesn't meet the needs of our kids. So it's now well-established research that chosen name usage in association with large reductions in negative health is associated, excuse me, with large reductions in negative health outcomes, both mental and physical. So how children choose to be identified um, and the pronouns that they choose to be used in relation to how they're identified um, has a huge impact in terms of how they're recognized on their mental health and wellness. And yet when young people do not receive the affirmation and support of their teachers and the primary caregivers, the opposite is true. And they more likely experience negative mental health and negative physical health, often suicidal ideation and so on. So the reason so many experts, teachers and parents and politicians are deeply opposed to this law is simple. Home is often not a safe place for gender diverse kids and young people. Often their home environment is not the best place for them to be. Now, often they don't have choices, right? It's difficult to find a new home. But Polivare's words need to be examined for more than the content they purport to uphold, right? Under the guise of his cavalier call for the protection of parental rights, Polivare is picking up and running with pages from a playbook of the Republican Party. Um, indeed, since the beginning of the year, the Republican legislators introduced more than 500 pieces of legislation targeting trans adults, children, and youth. So the cry of parental rights, right? I'm, listen, I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. I think I have the right to raise my children as I see fit, but also in the best interest of the child. So it's often an explicit rejection of gender diversity when you somebody screams out, well, parents have a right to acknowledge or not acknowledge their children's choices. That's not necessarily true, right? So before he made his comments to the news, we already saw the impact of the current wave of transphobia. Uh, in America, families are selling their belongings to seek affirmation healthcare for their trans person. So affirmation healthcare, what does that mean? Uh, affirmation... Uh, um, uh, 
the seek the, this affirming healthcare. It's basically brainwashing, trying to change, you know, kind of uh, take the gay out of the kid, so to speak. Um, if I'm using uh, maybe the words are a little harsh, but that's the, the, the concept is that, you know, trying to get the, the gay out of the kids through some form of, of therapy. It's often not positive, often leads young people in a very uh, devastated mindset. So it's very important to understand that we're, we're losing touch with these children that identify however they identify and us not recognizing them identifying as such, right, um, makes it very difficult for these young people to find any place, non-binary and trans children, to find, um, you know, any safe place for them to go. So giving, you know, suggesting that the parental rights are such that the parent has the right to acknowledge or not acknowledge or to, you know, sort of try to <clears throat> transform the child, you know, into what they want them to be. You know, how many parents are out there, right? We all know them. How many parents are out there that want their kids to be this, that, or something else? And you know what? I'm all for it, by the way. If you if you want the best for your children, nothing wrong with that, right? There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, it's important that the kid feel comfortable in their own skin. Like it's just the kid has to be comfortable in their own skin. It's just the way that it is. Right. And to take that away from a child uh, makes it very, very difficult for, uh, for them to find some comfortable place to, to sit, to be. And um, often leads to kids making really, really bad decisions about what's good for them. And, um, you know, often not living, you know, an honest life, not able to live the life that they, that they feel because, um, it, it, there's no, there's nowhere they're able to do that and still meet the needs of their family and, uh, their community. So it's not, not allowing young people to express themselves in some healthy way in terms of how they feel about who they are and to expect that parents, you know, can either accept it or not. And depending on that, determine how to raise their child. It's, 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 you know, I, I'm not going to use, I'm not going to suggest that it's abuse because I don't think it's legally been called that, but it definitely makes it very difficult for a child to find themselves, um, you know, okay, you know, and when they're not okay, they make horrible choices. And and, and usually there's, you know, it's self-harm, um, you know, we see addiction issues um, with kids who can't find comfort in their own skin. Um, but today's day and age, it's very difficult uh, for a lot of parents to navigate this kind of situation. I get that. I understand that. I, I, I'm appreciative of that uh, from a parent perspective. But then it's it's our job, right? It's our job as parents to just go that extra mile if you need to, to try to get the understanding. You know, there's lots of group uh, groups out there, parental groups out there, support groups. Uh, there's people you can talk to. There's experts available online that provide virtual support. There's other families that are, you know, going through the same types of things with their kids where you could look to for some support. So be, before you kind of, you know, push away that this doesn't fit you and fit your family values and fit how you were raised and fit you know, your religious beliefs and all those kinds of things. We really have to focus on kids and the government needs to do a better job of making sure that parents understand this. Not taking their rights away necessarily, but making sure that the schools and parents and government understand that there's a special need for kids today and we best do a really good job of paying attention to it. And if we don't do a good job of paying attention to it, we're going to continue to see the young people in our lives, in our communities, in our society decline as it relates to their mental health, as it relates to suicide, numbers of suicide and self-harm, and as it relates to the type of adults they're going to turn out to be. Remember, the kids grow up, right? When they grow up, they're going to become adults. 
And if they're all mixed and matched and all messed up in terms of trying to figure out who they are as kids, it's not going to make it very easy for them to be whole and complete adults that are comfortable and happy and joyful and feeling productive and so on. So um, this is a real deal. It may not affect you or your family, uh, but it's affecting children everywhere, teenagers, young people everywhere. And we have to do a really good job as a society and as government, those that are in power, to make sure we protect our kids first. Kids first all the time, every time, without question. Never too late to restart, right? Never too late to get a, a new start in your life, including relationships. Um, I want you to listen uh, to this real quick um, summary of uh, this uh, founder of 60 and Me, Margaret Manning, and how she uh, love is possible in later years. Have a quick listen. If you're dating and you're in your 50s or above, are you looking for someone much younger or someone closer to your age? Because there's different considerations depending on which you really prefer to be with. So um, I have an expert. Her name is Valerie Gibson. She's going to join me here right now. Uh, she's a relationship expert and a writer and author of The Later the Later Dater, a guide for newly single women over 50. Valerie, how are you? And welcome to the show. I'm fine, thank you, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. Great, great title, The Later Dater. I'm sorry I didn't invent <laughs> it myself. Um, so yeah. I, in, 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 go ahead. Yeah, it's really, um, it wasn't much known when I wrote that, you know, that uh, sort of title. It's come on for, since I thought it up. Uh, like I, I did the cougar, I started the cougar trend in 2001, and that didn't, I didn't expect it to go worldwide. Well, the later data didn't quite, because uh, I think people are still a little bit edgy about us single, older people dating 50, 60, 70, and even 80 now. And I think the uh, the society still has to adjust slightly to that, but they have to adjust to that because the population is aging and the biggest thing, uh, growing demographic in Canada are the single people over 50. Now, for varying reasons, and also I have to say that when you reach 60, the medical professions say if you're in reasonable health at 60, you'll live to be another 30 years. And people don't seem to let that sink in, that this, they have all this time. And instead of looking at it as an asset, they tend to fear it, I find, especially women. And I, my job, as I feel it, is to make people understand that getting older and uh, aging, if you're single, what an adventure. This is like untrod ground. But I think I absolutely agree with the lady who wrote the book. Um, it, it's very important when you're dating older, uh, at an older age. It doesn't matter whether you're 50, 60, 70 or what. You have to decide what you want. Do you want younger? Do you want same age? Do you want older? Um, the whole thing also you must decide is what you want in a relationship at that time exactly. of your life. Uh, a lot of women do not want marriage. 
um, they want to be free, but they want a companion, maybe. Some want a lover, some uh, don't even want that. It, it varies enormously among people and their experiences and what they need for the rest of their life. Men have a slightly different view, I find, when they get older and they're single. They, they want someone in their life, um, but Often they want, unfortunately, and I think this is getting better. I think they're getting more aware. They wanted someone to look after them. And older women are very wary of that. And yeah. I think that's fair enough. I think they, that you have to be, if you're going out dating, whether it's internet dating, which you have to be so careful. Do you know, Yana, that the biggest fraud in Canada, the biggest, the number one, is internet dating and it's women being taken yeah. for scam, you know, for their money and all that. And this is um, scary. Yeah, Valerie, let me let me let me ask you um, a couple of things here. Um, you mentioned uh-huh. that uh, you know there's a lot of people in in the older uh, segments of their life, the second half of their life, uh, that are looking to restart. Uh, the fact is that there is the greatest number of sexually transmitted diseases uh, are found in long-term care facilities in people that are 70 and older. So there are yeah, a lot of people, true. there's yeah, a lot I've of se- that, there's yeah. a lot of seniors having sex, maybe not doing a good job of it. Uh, so, uh, and, 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 yeah. and, and like, and, and like you said, not everybody's interested in that. So what advice do you give to women who are trying to figure out what it is that they want? Um, well, certainly you hit a, a nail on the head because again, one of the biggest growing situations, unfortunately, is STDs and other sexually transmitted diseases in 50 plus uh, people because I think um, a lot of it is complicated obviously but I think a lot of older men uh, feel that um, taking precautions is is going to spoil everything and um, Mm -hmm. that's a very old thing from from years and years and decades ago Um, Mm -hmm. there was an expression in England about it was like taking a bath with your overcoat on (laughs) (laughs) the, the whole thing is that um, women, of course, are often uh, in error in thinking, I, um, you know, they're exclusive, or, you know, the only person yeah, that this yeah. guy is going yeah. with, and that may not yeah. be so. And right. I think that's my advice I would give to um, people, or particularly women when they're di- starting out again, is yeah. make, make sure you tell the person you're meeting or dating or seeing, what do you want, an exclusive relationship or are you quite happy if the person dates other people or you know make it clear what, what, the what are the, i think that's yeah. fair have a listen to what a matchmaker we're talking about dating at 60 life at 60 sex at 60 uh single at 60 a matchmaker poses the important question to those entering the dating pool over 50 have a quick listen of what they have to say If you're dating and you're in your 50s or above, are you looking for someone much younger or someone closer to your age? Because there's different considerations depending on which you really prefer to be with. So Valerie uh, is joining us, Valerie Gibson, relationship expert and writer and author of The Later Dater, a guide for newly single women over 50. Valerie, uh, thanks for sticking around. Um, quick question. <laughs> when you're dealing with, when you're, when you're older, right? You know, so you're in your 50s, 60s, um, and often, you know, as a result of um, either um, 
I, I maybe I'll, I'll let me go back. How many people that you talk to that you interact with have never been married? In other words, this is they're they're now single at sixty, but maybe have been single their whole life versus you know leaving children, having children, and been married before. What's the percentage if you know that? I don't have the percentage, but I can assure you that the uh, the people in the 60s, 50s, 60s, or 70s, pretty well, I would go to say 99% have been married or in a relationship, a long-term relationship. Um, it, it just was the thing to do always. I mean, the cohabiting didn't come into society until quite late. And um, even today, that uh, I think cohabiting, though, has become the norm in many ways. Marriage has sort of taken yeah. the back step. But, I yeah. mean, for older people, they often um, may not want to even cohabit, actually. It's an interesting thing. But one of the trends is for couples who have partnered up live in their separate houses, and they still space, are yeah. close partners, exclusive to each other. They enjoy each other. So that's a, an interesting trend, I think. Um, so it's a matter of question entirely of as to what you want out of a, a date or what you're looking for. But I do try to reassure both sexes that um, it, it is fun. It can be fun, but you must be very cautious. You must do your homework. You must find out more. And don't just think that, the, you know, the first person you meet you like is the one. Just like when yeah. you were 20. Exactly. You know, it, it can <clears throat> be some people when they get older, they get a, maybe yeah. a little desperate. Want somebody in my life. Um, and it can lead to problems. Quick question. Um, my last question for you tonight, actually, is how do you deal with um, your kids and family when you're when you're dating a little bit older? And, you know, maybe now everyone's got their eyes on them and, and they suggest that maybe you should or you shouldn't. How do you deal with people sticking their nose in your business? Uh, well, tell them, you know, that it's, you know, you can be quite blunt and say it's none of their business, but also just smile happily and saying, I'm having a great time. Thank you very much. You know, like just, <laughs> it's none of their business, is it? But dealing with children can be tough. That is a, a tough area. And I used to get a lot of questions about the, the, uh, the son or the daughter does not like me dating and gives me a hard time. And I've always said, you've got to explain to your children whether they're young adults or whatever, that, you're, you know, it's your happiness, it's your life, and that yeah. they should try and go along with it. And you, But, you know, do be a bit cautious. Don't you know, take your first date home. You know, wait and, <laughs> and give them time. Give, give your children time. And they, they often come around quite. If they see you happy and laughing yeah. and enjoying your uh, older life, then they should be happy too. This is a great thing. This is not a bad thing. But it does take a little bit of uh, carefulness and, and treating them as adults, even if they are adults, you know, don't treat them as children. Yeah. And, and just introduce your new date uh, at some point, but later. Just take your time and, uh, you know, take Excellent. it slowly. Valerie Gibson, relationship expert. Thanks, Valerie, for being with us tonight. We'll have you back on again as we continue to explore uh, Single at 60. Thanks so much. Yes, my pleasure. Thanks very much, Rona. 